the explosive new film, Flynn, Deliver the Truth, Whatever the Cost, exposes secrets behind the government's takedown of General Michael Flynn. Flynn knew what the intel world had been up to. He ordered the first audit of the use of contractors. This set off alarm bells. He told the truth. He was the most dangerous person for Donald Trump to hire. They had to get rid of Flynn. Flynn, Deliver the Truth, Whatever the Cost. Available now. Watch it today. Go to SalemNow.com. SalemNow.com. It is a Thursday. This is the final day of the session this week. We are here until uh, 5 o'clock. We will repeat at 5 o'clock yesterday's uh, 4 o'clock hour. And that uh, happens to be uh, J.R. Davis, the governor's spokesperson, and Congressman French Hill. And uh, we put both those half hours together to give you a full hour. And uh, French had a lot of things uh, to say, Congressman did, about uh, the president, about what is an emergency, and all of those uh, types of questions I'm sure a lot of you have. So be listening at 5 o'clock and get all the answers. I I even told uh, Elizabeth that she needed to listen as she's going home today so that she can hear what, uh, you know, Congressman Hill had to say, because there's some uh, interesting caveats to the whole thing about declaring an emergency. Right. You know, what is he declaring an emergency about? What is it going to, you know, affect, and what will it not affect, and all of those type of things. So that's all coming up today. Uh, During the show today, at uh, about 2.30, we're expecting... uh, uh, Stephen Meeks to come in and, and talk Dan to Sullivan. us. And, yeah, perhaps Dan Sullivan is, as well. But I think he's going to calm down before and we'll <laughs> say that he doesn't want to come on right now. Uh, 3 o'clock, Dr. Terry Yamauchi will be on to talk about the flu. Uh, we'll spend some time talking about how bad has the flu season really been. So we'll talk to him about that. Then we will turn around and Senator Brianne Davis will be here from Russellville. Uh, she's working a piece of legislature that's um, changed to an amendment, an amendment to the Constitution, which means it has to be one of the three that the, um, the elective bodies that we have here. refers out. And which, which one was that she has? You know, I can't remember what bill it was. It may be SJR 5. I can't remember, though. What does it do? do you so, know? Oh, it's, it's the one that does the... Um, so in, in her district, they had a, um, a casino that wants to come in. Uh-huh. And so some of these casinos have apparently put their name into the Constitution. And so well, they respects. did. Apparently, they did. And um, That was something the people voted on. Yes, they and, did. And so she wants to try to make that illegal. Which is a good thing. I it's, go along with that. It's a bit odd for um, a government body to literally... Um, private business into their constitution. Which is why I voted against it. Mostly. I voted against mostly. it as well. But what I'd like to know is, would it invalidate the casino law? If Probably it not. Probably not. Maybe, maybe not. But There's not a law that says you can't do it. So from now on, we get if it were to pass, we get to have the one corporate or couple of corporations in the, our the, constitution and nobody the, else. That's it. Wouldn't that be lovely? But, I don't know. Mark Johnson was, was by here, I think it was last week, telling us about... Um, the Arkansas Constitution already has provisions where the state legislature can actually repeal constitutional amendments that were referred to the people by a two-thirds vote. 
And I, I, he was he was mentioning that. Well, we need to get him on and talk about yeah. that because I've not, not heard that. And if that's the case, then do we go in and change the minimum minimum wage? Because well, I would say that's, that's a definite. And I mean, and that's a we can do it. And so, so the, but the problem is, apparently, back years ago, the Arkansas Supreme Court said, "No, that's not what that means." But I went and looked it up after um, Senator um, Johnson told us about it. And so, you know, it really does say that. That may not be necessarily what they intended, but but it's 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 what it says from from what I can tell. They've got a def- they got some definitions and they've got some 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 rules there or laws in the Arkansas Constitution. It's Article 5. And I tell you what, I think he's right. Now the Arkansas Supreme Court may disagree with him, but I think technically speaking he is correct. Okay, so with that said, the Arkansas Supreme Court says that the legislature cannot do it. Apparently. Is that what they've well, said? He, but I th- All right, so, so if they've said that... But it may it, have been like 50 years ago. Okay, well, the only way it's going to get changed is if they can get that law back in front of the Supreme Court and have them right, change so, their so decision. Would, so essentially what would have to happen is basically legislature does it, and then somebody sues, and then you can bet the, the, the casino people would sue... And then the Arkansas Supreme Court would hear it again, apparently. And what I hear coming out of that is that continuance of the argument that says the Supreme Court can't tell us. How can you tell us what to do? Mm-hmm. Here we go. Well, and yeah. the, and I mean, is, I can see that escalating that argument and, even and, more. And that argument needs to be had because the the, the um, Supreme Court should not be allowed to break the law and, and, and override the legislature. So then my question is a simple one, Paul. If they did... Would you even accept the decision that the Supreme Court makes? No, and I think I see, think that's, that's what I'm see, just and that's, saying. That's the thing is I I think that that then it comes down to whether or not the legislature actually wants to uphold the law and impeach the judges, or let the judges stand and let them keep their power with the stare decisis. If they all vote unanimously, good luck on impeaching all and the I, judges. I think you're right because really? I think there's just not enough. Um, intestinal fortitude in the House of Representatives and the in the Senate to do that. But stare decisis is what gave us Roe v. Wade. That needs to be abolished because it, it's not law. It needs They need to be upholding the law, even if a judge uh, or a court in the past has gotten something wrong. You can always tell when the schools are here. <laughs> and all that noise you're hearing behind us, I don't know which school it is, but they are here and they are down in the middle of the They're rotunda. They're all over the rotunda. They're in the rotunda right now. And, boy, that place just echoes, just so you'll know. <laughs> all right, so that is at 3.30. We'll talk with the uh, senator from Brianne Russellville Davis. about that, Brianne Davis. Yep. What's uh, 4 o'clock? we got an interesting guest joining uh, us. Joyce Elliott. Joyce Elliott. But you you heard that right. It is a Democrat that will be joining here, us here I on the Dave Ellswick Show. That's the first time she's been on the show while I've been on with you, I think. Yeah, she's been on with me Years before. Ago, right? I think I had her on when she was carrying the water uh, for uh, Governor Huckabee at that time. And they were trying to allow... Uh, dreamer kids to be able to get uh, scholarships at the colleges, and that was a firestorm to say yeah, the least. I remember that. I remember. I remember. That. I remember um, it was at Jim Holt yeah. was on the was on your side of that issue. Yep. And um, that's what Mike Huckabee told him. They drink a different kind of Jesus juice. That's right. That's what that he said. Was, um, that was rather interesting. And, yeah. And. Um, 
and uh, there were uh, three other uh, representatives that were not wanting to do that, not wanting to give illegals college scholarships. So subsidized. And they called, and the governor called them Shiite Republicans. <laughs> I remember that, too. <laughs> do you remember that? Okay. Who, who were those people? Well, two of them were Hutchinsons. Okay. It was Jeremy and his brother, and I, I cannot, for the life of me, think of who the third one was hmm. that I remember was involved uh, with that. But that's when we had four Republicans in the House and one in the Senate. Yeah. And then we had the governorship. Mm-hmm. Unbelievable. And when you think about it, when you think about being there then, like I was, and being here now and the way it is, it is beyond night and day. People come and talk to you now. Yeah, well, yeah, they do. All right, we got to get a break in. Let's do that. We'll come back. We'll tell you we got a special guest at 4.30, and we'll tell you about him as well and what we're going to talk about. Uh, we got more coming your way here on the Dave Ellswick Show. We are here for the uh, session that is going on, and I don't know if it's going on until May or not. There was a piece of legislation filed, was it late yesterday? It was filed yesterday. To take the session to May. Stephen Meeks will be here at 2.35, and we'll bring it up to him. Is this is something that they do all the time so that they can move on with it and it's no big deal, or... Are they really thinking about going until May? And if so, how come? All right, we got more coming your way in a moment here from the third floor of the House side of the Capitol on the Dave Ellswick Show. All right, so uh, let me mention to you, and uh, we'll celebrate, I don't know if you celebrate, you memorialize, uh, one of the members of the Monkees passed away today. Peter Tork died. 77 years old, the bassist uh, uh, with the Monkees had been with them since they had started. He left the group right after they did the movie Head. And, and if you know what I'm talking about and you saw that movie, you know how crazy that movie was, okay? But the bottom line is uh, he has passed away. And when we go to news, we'll, uh, we'll give him a little send-off uh, here on the Dave Ellswick Show because they were, from the mid-60s, they were a huge huge cultural influence in our nation so we'll, we'll play a little ma- music for you dealing with that so that's coming up uh who's coming up in the 4 30 half hour so we have josh silverstein he's a professor at bowen school that's robert's Law. friend it is a friend of robert steinbuck and so he's going to talk to us about the new ruling that came out yesterday from the supreme court the u.s supreme court that dealt with asset forfeiture did you hear about this I think it was great. Yeah, it's I a think good it's thing. one of the best things I've seen them do in yeah. a long time. Yeah, I think it was. It Stand was, up for the people. They, they should have should have been done a long time ago. That, from what I understand, the, the some of the local authorities have been trashing people's rights. In this well, the regard. best part of it is they made it very, very clear. This puts it right back in the in the hands of the states, and the states are a lot more, I, I'd say, aggressive about forfeiture. Yeah, it, it's basically the states cannot just. Ignore the Eighth Amendment, right? Which, which is apparently what's been going on for quite some time. Yeah. And the story I read was that they took some fellow's SUV that was worth about forty thousand mm-hmm. dollars because he had about a ten thousand dollar debt, 
well, having no, he, to do well, he, had a, he committed a crime with a maximum penalty. The $10,000 penalty they needed him right. to pay, so they took his $40,000 vehicle. Yeah. Well, and so their, their justification for it is that, well, it was part of the, it was an element of the crime, or that they used it in crime, therefore we can take it. Transported re- drugs in re- it. Regardless of what the actual penalty should have been. And so I, I think that actually, I think that sort of thing can happen in a lot of other areas, too. Like you may have, maybe someone's shooting deer out of season or something like that, or raccoons. And, you know, if they're in their hunting truck, that, that might be a fifty or $60,000 vehicle. And, you know, I don't know what the penalty is for poaching, but you know, it may only have a $1,000 fine. I'm going to be like honest that. with you. One of the bills that I hated, I think, came through last year, may have been two, four years ago, is uh, making, uh, the, you know, wildlife people having the same kind of uh, authority as as a police officer, I did not like that at all. Well, uh, I, I don't, now maybe I'm if I'm to, if I'm riding down the, a country lane or something and they stop me, okay, might go along on a dirt road, but don't stop me on the interstate and pull me over. I think they've had that kind of power for quite some time, but I think I'm trying to remember what the bill exactly did. I kind of kind of vaguely remember that. I think what somebody well, then you was, remember me yelling on the air about it. <laughs> See, and I think I ended up talking to to maybe the head of the wild, the um, the game and fish people, and I was kind of frustrated with them because I think somebody was trying to run a bill to make them obtain probable cause, and they didn't want that. And I'm like, well, why shouldn't you follow the law? Yeah, like a law, uh, like a law enforcement officer must. I mean. I remember this for, for argument, crying, for yes. For crying out loud, the, do you think the Fourth Amendment does not apply to you simply because someone's hunting? All right, so at 4.30, we're going to talk about forfeit... Af- uh, asset forfeiture. Yeah, asset forfeiture, right. thank so you. So that should be... And that will be, be a good, discussion. because I've been talking about this for since the late 70s. Yeah, I mean, it's a, it's a, a pretty serious problem, and, and the, the case doesn't... It doesn't appear to deal with every aspect of some of the problems that we have in, in asset forfeiture. This is a specifically criminal asset forfeiture. Um, there's been a piece of legislation filed by Bart Hester that deals with, um, I think, sort of civil asset forfeiture requiring there to be a criminal conviction before you can actually get anywhere. Before you can take people's stuff. Before you can take keep their it, stuff. Yeah, as from right, and, I, and I may not have explained that perfectly correctly on, on Bart Hester's bill. Now here, here, here's what I, I wanted to mention is that uh, when you were talking about it, and uh, just now, and Elizabeth, it came out before she knew how to stop it, and she said, almost said, "Power to the people." <laughs> it was she was close. She's going to bring more power back to the people. You're going to love this. Last night, guess what movie I was watching? Oh, there is no telling. 1974. Really? Foxy Brown with Pam Greer. Where in the world did you even think about watching that? <laughs> I just happened to come across it. I think it was on uh, it was one of the pay channels. I get HBO and then I get another one, and I don't even know which one it is. I just I took to watch the old movies on that one, and Foxy Brown was on Pam wow. Greer, and it was. It, I need to show that as a classic movie. You should. That would be you fun. Should. That would be a lot of fun. You know, one of the black exploitation movies that when you hear black exploitation, you think negative, and it uh-huh. was not negative. It was literally 
Power give, to the people. Yeah, giving them power <laughs> to the people. It was great stuff. It was really, really a good, great movie. I was watching it last night. And I'm watching that. I'm going, I can't believe they're saying what they're saying to, to each other. It was amazing, but it was a reflection of the time uh, yeah, and be how now. it was. It might I'm be not cultural, saying, culturally I'm not saying inappropriate. The words. I'm not saying the words. I get. I would get in trouble. They'd be wanting to pull me off the air because there were two words in particular that would be a good idea not to say now because, you know, the snowflakes out there would get their panties all in a wad. You might want to not talk about the movie very much because next thing you know, they'll want to take it out of circulation yeah, because true. it's improper. They probably would. They you know, probably you're not supposed would. to use that language you anymore. Know, you show, show mm. me only uh, Cleo, Cleopatra Jones and all the rest of those. Never mind learning from history or any of that stuff. Yeah, we'll no. just throw it all out. Yeah, throw it out not understanding why they did the movies that they did because mm-hmm. they weren't getting you know decent jobs in Hollywood as uh, black actors and actresses and so they started doing their own type of cinema mm. so they and could they make made movies. money at it and they made a really lot of money good money at it yeah i mean we're talking richard roundtree and shaft and we're talking ryan i can't think of his last name you know when you're talking about um, was this in the 50s and 60s no it was in the early the 70s, 70s. Late, 70s late 60s early 70s early wasn't 70s. that kind of a period you know, the of mac time. and all the rest of them wasn't that kind of a period of time when superfly when oh, black yeah. business owners were actually doing pretty well in establishing businesses in a lot yeah. of them yes yeah. a lot of cases yeah there's a lot i mean gary indiana was a mecca for black entrepreneurs in the uh, 50s 60s and 70s and uh, in the 60s, when Lyndon Baines Johnson uh, started pushing, you know, no, don't spindle, you know, bend or mutilate, and came up with a welfare program, it all disappeared. All you these, put them all out of business. All these good, good works projects. And projects. they hated it. And it's almost as if a lot of that, I'll call it good energy, came out of the civil rights movements yes. in the 60s. And now those kinds of activities would be demonized See, they would want because we'd be looked at as trying to separate blacks and whites and putting but Dr. You know, a dividing King line. would have been more than happy to see a lot of things that happened because of him, but of that they've been destroyed because people have taken his thoughts, his words, and bastardized them. Exactly. Well, and again, at that time, no. the black community said, you know, we're big enough and strong enough and tough enough. We're going to get out here and do our thing. We're being encouraged to do our thing. And I think it was working well. Well, now, got if that attention. occurred, somebody would demonize Remember it. Remember the Mexico City um, Olympics and the three black athletes? Oh, yeah. Oh, yeah, and yeah, the, yeah. And they gave the... You know, the black power salute? Yep. yep. Wow. It was crazy. It but was now that's crazy. a little different than kneeling during the national It's a different thing. Yeah, totally different. All right. We'll leave it there. Little, uh, a little salute now to Peter Tork, the bassist of the, of the Monkees, passed away at 77 years old. You'll remember this song. Only true in fairy tales And for someone else But not for me Our love was out to get me That's the way it seemed Disappointment haunted all my dreams Then I saw her face Now I'm a bitch 
And I'm here, and so is Elizabeth, and so is Paul, and joining us, did the house adjourn? We did, just got out. Okay, Stephen Meeks is here. He is the most senior Correct. state representative, and so we had some questions, and when you got questions, who do you bring on to answer them? The guy who's been here the longest. That's right. That's and right. you have been here the longest. Right, yep, yep. And you're the only one who's uh, delivered pizzas, too. Far as I know, <laughs> at least the, well, the, while, while, while in elected will. office, yes. while in elected office, office. Yeah. Yes. yeah, I mean, you, some of them may have done it when they were in high school. Yeah, are, are you debt free now? Uh, I am, except for my house. Very cool, isn't Congrats. it wonderful? Yes, it is. Yep. So the, the 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 Dave Ramsey baby steps for those listeners that are familiar with that. I'm uh, finishing up baby step three and moving on to four, five, and six. Cha-ching. When, yep. when do you when are you going to turn your attention to that mortgage? Uh, I've already started trying to chip away at that a little bit. Okay. Making an additional payment. Yep. A yep. quarter or something like yep. that. Yep. So it's a smart thing to yep. do. You'd yep. be surprised at oh, yeah. how well it works for I, you. I wish all legislators yep. would you, actually try to be debt-free. Yep. Or even if you be. have a monthly mortgage, you just pay it every two weeks. Right. And you'd be amazed at how much that knocks off a 30-year mortgage. Well, provided yeah. your mortgage company lets if, you do that. Let, My, you, mine doesn't. You can pay the two every two weeks, oh, but they really? don't apply it until they get the full monthly oh, amount. Oh, really? So, yeah. Okay. So they caught on to that little trick. and, and uh-huh. Yeah. yeah figure out a way to hold yeah, it down yeah. well, at least you tried yep now you yep. credit for that you're trying but we did that we cut 12 at 12 years mm-hmm. off oh, sure sure yep. 12 years okay so when you get to the to the end and uh you've paid off your home mm-hmm. uh you got to come on the air and talk about it be glad to there's yeah. nothing like that it. it could be 20 years from now but I'll, yeah. <laughs> you do a debt-free <laughs> stream I'll be happy. Or I'll be show. Yeah. i'd be in my 80s at yep. that point i'd be a happy be, guy yeah yep. for that all right, so we have a question to start off this segment to talk about. Big story in the paper. At least they made it sound like a big story. Somebody filed a bill mm-hmm. to extend the session till May. Correct. Now, normally, and I knew this just from being here so often, that you guys are usually trying to get out of here by the end of March or right. beginning of April. Right. And then I and then you know Elizabeth comes to me and says, "Did you see the final bill for yeah. May?" And I went, right. what? "The news made it sound right. like it was right. a big deal." And well, we love being here at the Capitol, so <laughs> yeah, <laughs> that's not what I hear sometimes. Right. Yeah. But go yeah. ahead and tell us what, what's um, going so, on. So, what's going on with that? That's a uh, standard operating procedure that we do every session. Uh, the session, uh, according to the Constitution, we've got so much time to be here. Uh, Sixty days is generally what it is, and then we can extend it for a little bit. And then once uh, the session is completed. There's a, a three to four week gap, if you will, where nothing happens. And the reason why that gap is built in is it would allow us in an emergency to come back and fix anything that was either overlooked or um, 
any situations that were created that need to be addressed so the governor wouldn't have to call a special session just to fix okay. something. And it also allows in situations where it hasn't happened when I've been here, but let's say we pass a bill on the last day of session and the governor vetoes it. We have to have an opportunity as a general you assembly. Come back to override. We got to come back to potentially override it. So that three weeks, four weeks period there is uh, just to allow for those type of things to take place, and then we have signing die. So uh, I think that happened with Huckabee. Mm-hmm. Didn't they come back in session with Huckabee to override uh, override one of his vetoes? That, that may have been. I that was before my time. So, yeah. I think um, 2003, four, maybe. Right. But you know, last year, for example, or last session, for example, it was April 27th, and the only reason why I remember that is because that's my brother's birthday. Uh, so it's usually end of April, early May when signing die occurs, and so it's it's in line with what we typically typically do. So why do we have to use Latin phrases? <laughs> To do business in in an American and English, you know, way. Tradition. Okay. But years ago, Latin was a way to keep people from being able to understand what was going on. It's still used for yeah, that. Yeah, I, think I think that was actually intentionally done. They, right. they used to have the Bible written right. in English. I think one of the main... Ask the Catholics. They know all about well, that. Right. I think, Latin. I think that, was the, that was kind of the, the main purpose right. was to keep the, the little people from, right. from being able to have access. Right. It's just a technical term to say, this is really truly it. There's nothing after We're that. Done. Yeah. Yeah. We're We're completely done, yes. We will not be here tomorrow. Right, exactly. As, as, as Unless we change our minds. Right. <laughs> and, you know, instead of just saying we're adjourned for the session, we say it's signing die, that's it, the, 90, it's the session's over. Okay, so how do you make determination of the people who are going to stay here overnight and not go home? That's a personal decision that each lawmaker makes. It's typically based upon distance. So I'm out of the Greenbrier area. It's about an hour's drive back and forth for me. Um, it's, you know... It's a long commute, but it's still easy to commute. Uh, and my colleagues that live in Fayetteville, and uh, you know, I mean, that. those guys are driving three hours. So, um, if they choose to stay down here, um, there, there's no policy on that. That's a personal decision. Um, they can rent out. Uh, we do have these apartment buildings over here. They have to rent. I think uh, the rent's like three hundred dollars a month that they charge them for it. Okay. Um, otherwise, you know, they have to find relatives, or I think the. You know, former speaker had relatives who lived in Little Rock, so he just Gillum? slept. Yeah, Gillum. He just slept at a you know at their house. Yeah, he's uh, probably wishing that was still the case now that he's working for UCA and yeah. he's here every day anyway. Yep, yep, yep. So he he may still be utilizing them. Yeah, he might be. I, I, I bet his salary is a bit higher now. Oh, I'm sure it is too. Yeah. But how did he determine if you get per diem? Uh, that's uh, based on IRS rules. So um, the, the mileage rate is uh, all that's determined by the IRS, and the magic cutoff line is fifty. So if you live closer than fifty, and I'm the lawmaker who lives the closest without going over, as they would say, in jeopardy, I'm at forty-nine miles. Wow! Uh, so I'm on uh, a reduced per diem in mileage. Those that live over are on the the higher limits, and uh, so the way it works is the the lawmaker say like a Jim Dotson who lives up in the Fayetteville Springdale area. Right. While we're in session, he gets a certain um, per diem to pay for his meals and for his lodging. And then on mileage, he only gets it once. So he's not getting mileage every day because he's staying down here. Uh-huh. Um, when we're in the interim, of course, he gets that mileage every day. And so uh, I think he was the one that had the highest return. And so you get into a situation. I mean, do you want your lawmaker down here when he's supposed to be? In which case, he's going to have a higher mileage and per diem, or do you want him staying at home saving that money? 
me personally, I think the people want their representative here representing them. I would they want them, so, them here, sure. Yeah. And so th- those rules are not established by us. Those are established by the IRS, and we're just simply following the IRS guidelines on that. Isn't that weird that mm-hmm. the IRS can tell them what kind of mileage they get? Yep. I mean, yep. evidently it's not... The complete mileage. I mean, oh, it is. It's it's oh, a same. Yeah, okay, if, so if you as a business, to, do they have to keep their log and everything? I, I do. Yep. Okay. Yeah. So what I have to do is, uh, and this would be the same for any business person that's traveling across the yes. state. You would get yes. the exact same thing. So we're not getting anything special. And because I live within the fifty miles, what I have to do on my taxes, and it's a pain in the butt, but I have to do it every year, is I have to go through and log all my miles and all my expenses. So those meals that I, you know, I stop at McDonald's or Taco wherever grab a burger, I have to uh, deduct that against that per diem, and uh, what doesn't end up getting deducted if I have, say, you know, $100 left over at the end of the month that they paid me that I didn't expense out, then it becomes personal income and I get taxed at the personal income rate. As I really, so they don't actually automatically give it to you? Correct. Okay. It is taxed, in it other is taxed. words. Yes. Okay. Right, right. That's, that's something that yeah. needs to be made very clear because yes, I think a lot of people think it's just money in your pocket. No, 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 no. And, and it's the same thing that any other business person would get across. That's the exactly state. right. That's and, exactly right. And, uh, you know, even following up on it are, you know, the health benefits. I know Congress has their own special deal going on. We are treated exactly like state employee for our health benefits, dental, uh, retirement. So we're treated no different than anybody else. As a matter of fact, on our retirement system for the General Assembly, we're the only ones that have that. In order for us to become vested, we have to serve 10 years, where regular state employees only have to serve five. Hmm. So uh, actually, our rules are a little little more stringent than what the state employees are. So are you guys going to strike for that? Uh, <laughs> no. <laughs> so, so here's my question. What's the current scoop on the idea of getting away, uh, doing away with the fiscal session and not having but one session every two years. Are we going to be bi- heard much are about gonna, that? Are we going to be bicameral either. again? Uh, well, we're bicameral now. Oh, okay, okay. But 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 as far as having two sessions, yes. Um, I actually I actually support us having two sessions, uh, having a fiscal session, and I'll tell you why. When we do the budget hearings, the budget hearings that the budgets we're passing now will take effect July one. So we're going to back up. The the budgets that we're passing now to take effect July 1, they were brought to us originally in October for the budget hearings. That meant the agencies were preparing those budgets in July. So imagine you're trying to figure out your budget that's not going to start for another year. And when we didn't have the fiscal session, you were actually trying to plan your budget out three years in advance. And this is what and the folks who want to get rid mm-hmm. of the fiscal session, this is where we'd be again. I'm right. against the right. idea of getting rid yep. of the fiscal yep. session for that exact exactly. reason. You're right. There's and no way in today's mm-hmm. changing circumstances that you can keep up. So there's some people who believe that you should be able to expand mm-hmm. the fiscal session and take up other issues mm-hmm. Are you one of those people? Um, yes or no. Um, I've, I've got mixed feelings on that. Um, I don't know if I necessarily want to turn it into another mini general assembly or general session. But, you know, as I said earlier, there's a lot of bills that I would like to uh, try to pursue this session, and I'm just not going to have time to do it. And um, it would be nice to maybe have that second opportunity to 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 address some of these things. Mm-hmm. But if not, then, you know, 
I think there's room for a lot of discussion mm-hmm. by the people, um, especially in light of the money that mm-hmm. we, you yep. know, increased everybody's salaries mm-hmm. and all this th- stuff. And I think there's quite a bit of a discussion that needs to be had mm-hmm. of the business of the legislature and mm-hmm. how it needs to be best carried out. Sure, sure. Um, I don't hear that discussion being right. being right. held. It's going to be held because mm-hmm. there's. There's bills that are pending that they haven't heard yet. And right. then there's all that about whenever you guys are in session, mm-hmm. yeah, more bills. So right. we don't want you in session. Right, right, yeah. right. What, so. what folks don't understand is when you're not formally in session, you're still in session. That's the right. other piece that people don't get. Right. And, and you know, one of the things that uh, I was hoping for us to, to talk about today, and, okay. and I want and I want to give Dave kudos here to, to everyone that's listening, because a lot of times what happens is when radio shows and other media outlets talk about what we're doing down here there's a lot of conspiracies there's a lot of uh you know embellishment about what actually really goes on here to the robe room yeah yeah. <laughs> all those closed doors. Yes, oh my exactly. Gosh. You know, all those smoke, smoke-filled backroom smoke deals. Yeah. And, uh, you know, if I was to ask most of your listeners, do you trust the news media? The vast majority of them would probably tell me no. But when a uh, uh, discussion happens or a news report happens talking about something that we're doing down here, Everyone will, or not everyone, but the majority of people will, they'll take that with a grain of salt, and suddenly, you know, lawmakers were getting pummeled with things that just aren't really true. The story is misreported. Uh, Y'all know the microchip bill that I uh, presented. Uh, the, the news media... Yeah, they took off with that. They took off with that, and they went in the exact wrong direction, and I got buried by, you know, all sorts of comments. What are you people doing? Why are you trying to bring microchips? And it had absolutely nothing to do with what I was trying to do. So the, 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 I guess the, the moral that, of the story here is uh, I would just ask our listeners and my fellow Arkansans, when news media reports on things that we're doing and it seems like we're doing something crazy... Take that with a grain of salt uh, because they may not necessarily be telling you the entire truth. And it, and it may not be intentional. It may just be kind of like with this the, this the situation earlier. Y'all didn't know or you didn't have all the pieces right. of the puzzle. Well, just, and so because you don't have all the pieces of the puzzle, it seems like we're doing something crazy or, or out of bounds when we're not. a terribly unreasonable conclusion from right. some of the language you're reading. Right. I don't know if you saw it, Alan Clark's bill that he filed mm-hmm. the other day. And if you just look at it, on a superficial level, it looks like he's cutting lunch money for right. for, for school kids, right. and it wasn't what's going on from what mm-hmm. I understand. It's but the the wording is such that it looks that way because mm-hmm. he was using um, some wording that's already mm-hmm. exists. Exist. Right. I'll let you talk more when we come back. Stephen Meeks is our guest, the most senior member of the House here in Arkansas. We got more questions for him, and he'll have answers when we return on the Dave Ellswick Show. All right, coming up uh, on 3 o'clock, we'll take time for news when that happens. And then when we come back, Dr. Terry Yamauchi is going to join us. We'll talk about flu. And I know how excited you are about hearing about flu. Joe, how are you? Are, well, you think, think well. Things are going well? Yeah, no, I, yeah, I want Did to you get through? Did yeah. you get through today? No, but I appreciate well. Representative Meeks. But we, ta- oh, we tabled uh, We tabled. We have some corrections and amendment. And basically, have gotten really affirmative mm-hmm. uh, results in regards once we get that done. And so, our children, the most vulnerable ones, will be protected. Mm-hmm. So, I appreciate you, Steve. Well, glad, glad to do yeah, it. I think yeah. it's a. Think so, it's got, what, what are you? What are you uh, protecting the kids from? Um, it was the self-contained, which are made up from, from with the the most severe, 
um, handicaps, nonverbal, autism, and things of that nature, especially those children that cannot speak, mm-hmm. uh, whereas your child can come home in a normal setting and tell you what that, happened at school, mm-hmm. right? Yes. Uh-huh. This, this and is so vid- this videos would put for the room. cameras, right? Mm-hmm. Cameras okay. in the classroom, and it's really it protects our teacher, as you know. The, the sometimes at the uh, acquisitions of teachers um, are not true. We found that out in many cases. Mm-hmm. However, it it you know proves that they haven't done anything. So we think that it really produced. One of the things I've had that was interesting uh, is teachers to uh, suggest that they would be able to view the videos so that they would be able to. Um, look at their classroom and and make it better in regards to having that. But that's not part of this bill, but it could be something we would consider. All right, so since you've done that, we'll have you back on next week, and you can tell us what it's going to all say again okay. when you come back and ready to run it. Well, f- appreciate that, Dave. And St- Stephen, thank you so much for your yeah, help. Looking forward right. to voting for it. Okay, all thank right, you. Jim, have a great weekend. All right, so let me finish up here. Stephen Meeks is our guest. The most senior member Mm -hmm. of the state uh, house of representatives here Mm -hmm. in uh, arkansas what what are some other things that people just don't understand that are going on right in the house or in even in the senate that they they need to know it ain't that way right um so uh, let me maybe open up a can of worms here with term limits since we're talking about me being the most senior senior member um we've been working on a uh bill for what, what was your email again exactly <laughs> I, don't want, I don't want them sending them to me yeah send all your yeah send it all today um but 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 the the point I'm, I want to make here is um, I just received a essentially a fifty page bill on the nine one one system. That's a very important system that uh, you know we all want to be there for us and our loved ones in the event that uh, there's an emergency. Right. And uh, there's a lot of technical aspects to that. And um, you have to have lawmakers who have had the time to become experts experts, quote-unquote, in those areas, to become knowledgeable in those areas, because there's a lot of moving pieces, because that bill was drafted by lobbyists and the Association of Arkansas Counties. And in a 45-, 50-page bill, you can sneak some stuff in there. And so it's important to have... Yeah, they'd you know, never do They'd that. never do that, no. Um, <laughs> but... Uh, you have to have lawmakers who are familiar enough who can go in and find those, little, you know, where those little red flags are at, so Correct. to speak, and get those corrected. And so, um, when this bill was brought forward, this is I'm the chair of the technology. This is the I've been neck deep in this stuff for the last four years. Um, the uh, my colleague who originally got the bill brought it to me. Uh, we did find some of those things in there, uh, but we've worked, we've fixed it, and uh, I think we're going to have a good bill going forward yet all right go on i just got a little bit of time left mm-hmm. let me ask this question in uh you know my county lone oak mm-hmm. lone oak has their 911 mm-hmm. cabot has their 911 apps in lone oak county, yeah yes. and it's crazy mm-hmm. when i had my heart attack mm-hmm. when i called 911 the person answered the phone mm-hmm. and i said uh, i think i'm having a heart attack mm-hmm. and they said i'm looking at your address you need, we gotta, we got to forward you to another person. Mm-hmm. And I'm thinking, I could be dying here. Right. All right? How are we going to get past that? I mean, it, it takes funding. How are we going mm-hmm. to work that 
part of this out? Um, that's all part of the bill. The final touches are still being put on it, but uh, one of the provisions that we're looking at is reducing the number of PSAPs within the state to, uh, I think there's 127 of them across the state right now. Uh, we want to reduce those by quite a bit. Uh, that, that final number is still being worked out. Well, but, like one. Uh, well, <laughs> we need more than one, but... Um, uh, but anyways, by, by reducing the number of PSAP, so, you know, a county like Lone Oak County, one or two should be more. Faulkner County, we've got two. We've got one that serves Conway, and then uh, the city of Greenbrier then serves uh, basically most everybody else. The, the county, county area. The rest okay. of the county area. And uh, it, it seems to work out well. But in Lone Oak County, there's six, and it does. It creates a lot more confusion, and there's more expense. Um, and as a matter of fact, actually, Faulkner County is looking at the potential of uh, possibly even privatizing. So that's one of the things that we want to make sure that we can do in the bill is to uh, create some flexibility to allow for consolidation, to allow for these alternative methods, and to make sure that we're also upgrading our technology and that that funding is there. All right. We are out of time with you, uh, Steve. Let's get you back next week. Sounds good. Maybe we should do a half hour a week about things you need to know. Sounds good. Just so you understand what's going on. And how it all gets done. Mm-hmm. Yep, I think that would be I Speaker think that'd be the good. House won't get upset, will he? No. Okay, <laughs> that's cool. All right. Now, I think he would appreciate it because that will make our jobs a little bit easier if folks understand better about what things actually happen versus all the sensationals and the uh, As you know, all I'm, the not, I'm not one of those conspiracists and stuff. Yeah. I, I, I kind of like doing facts, which drives yeah. the millennials nuts. But yeah. bottom line, we'll have you back on next week. Sounds good. I appreciate Thanks a lot. Dave. We appreciate it. Stephen Meeks. The most senior member, I love saying that, the yeah. most senior <laughs> member of the House of Representatives but here in oldest. Arkansas, no, but not, not the, the oldest. oldest. <laughs> All right, we'll take a break. We'll come back, and Dr. Terry Yamauchi will join us on the Dave Ellswick Show. Hey, we move into the second hour of our coverage today from the state capitol. It is a Thursday. It's good to have you along. Uh, yeah, we're going to do a, 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 a every week a half hour, and it'll be on Thursday, either in the 2 or the 2.30 uh, segment. And we have uh, we'll have Stephen Meeks on, and he'll an- he's going to answer questions uh, about uh, you know why they do what they do when the door is closed in the house. All right, and that a lot of things that a lot of people post on on uh, Facebook, it ain't necessarily so. Okay, best way that I can put it, ain't necessarily so. So Elizabeth is here, Paul is here, and our special guest guy that I've, I've gotten to know really, really well, become a personal friend, and I like having him on the air because I know that there's a lot of people who would like to just run their, their, their mouths and run their lives by emotions, but I don't like to do that. I like to have a whole lot of facts to base my decisions on, and this man can give me the facts that I need. Let's talk about what's going on here in the state of Arkansas, and today we're just, we're just going to deal with the flu. Dr. Terry Yamauchi is here. He's worked with the CDC and a whole lot of different people. He knows what he's talking about. And uh, one day we'll do it again. We'll, we'll talk about vaccinations because there's some of you out there that are listening right now that are just full of bull. And you, and you probably don't realize it. You know, isn't that right, Terry? They probably don't even understand that they're well, full of baloney. They're misinformed to a large degree, yes. Yeah. And you, you know, he was telling me at dinner last night that there's a lady that works with one of the cabinet members and wife, I guess, that uh, is an anti-vacciner. And I'm like, 
you got to be kidding me. This and, is national now, not not local. Yeah, not here. No, we're talking national. And I just, I just, the first thing, if you want to turn me off, is come and talk to me about vaccines and say, well, Jenny McCarthy said. <laughs> and I said, look, it don't matter what Jenny McCarthy said. She made her life being looked at, not being a thinker. You know what I'm saying? Bottom line, she doesn't know what's. She don't know any more about vaccines than you probably do. But the bottom line is, I want to talk about flu now. We'll get into vaccines later. Let's talk about the flu. Where are we as far as the flu season goes, Doc, and how bad has it been in Arkansas? Well, it's been getting worse. You know, the, it hasn't been as bad as last year. Last year was, was terrible. But um, as you know, we're seeing more and more news about more deaths. I think their latest was 31 deaths in the state. Um, the majority have been in those over 45, and uh, even a, more than half of them have been uh, above 60 or 65. Man, I'm starting to feel like i got a bullseye on me. Well, <laughs> to some degree you do, and it's a bigger bullseye because of your previous health uh, problems with your heart. And that's why I'm, I, I'm so glad that you were one of those people that, uh, that did get your vaccine and, and had prevention couple of my friends who are close to your age younger than i am uh have gotten sick this year Mm -hmm. and they went back to their doctor to get checked because they had some mild flu symptoms but it was they were pretty bad for them and uh they said doc i got i got my flu shot he said, well, it's a good thing, because if you didn't, you might be dead. <laughs> Which is, is And it's true. Exactly true, because, uh, you know, it will give you some protection. It, it, will, it will make you less likely to have severe problems, but uh, you can still get, get some symptoms, and you can also still uh, pass the disease along. So, right. So we still urge people to, to go ahead and... Be protected and stay away from crowds. I'm glad to hear an announcement uh, yesterday on the news so that uh, you know uh, parents were urging, being urged to not send their children to school if they had flu symptoms. That's good. To keep them home until they were a febrile, no flu, uh, no uh, fever. Mm-hmm. So we're we're glad to hear that. Now, numbers you hear or read in the paper, or even when I talk about it. Those numbers are going to change. They're changing every day. So undoubtedly, we're going to have more deaths. We're going to have more uh, flu tests uh, submitted. And they made a big thing about 15,000 samples of flu, flu, vac- uh, flu uh, testing going on. Okay. And uh, that's exactly what's happening. So um, remember, it's spread by... Uh, can be spread by contact, can be spread by sneezing or coughing. And so um, don't do that. Remember to wash your hands and do the fist bump. Yeah, <laughs> Yamo and Pete bump. I mean, you talked about that. You've been on with me for years, and you you mentioned that the first time you came on, and you've been mentioning it ever, ever since. It makes sense. You know, that's a lot don't of Don't shake hands. Don't shake hands, yeah. Because <laughs> oh, think about where your hands have been. And I'm not talking about there. I'm talking about around your nose, around your mouth, and all of those places. Every Perfect time you entry a, parts. Every time you grab a hand, a door handle, you're getting... Who else the, grabbed that door the handle? The other 400 people that yeah. grabbed it. That's what I talked to Rotary a while back, and uh, I uh, 
shook hands as I was coming to the stage podium, and I said, you know, I shook hands with ten people. Now How I've many got, people have they shook hands with? Yeah, mm-hmm. but then they also have my hand on, on their hand, you see. And so we try to teach children to sneeze into their into their arm or onto their shoulder. We try to teach the kids not to touch each other like that. Uh, the fist bump, the, the Yamauchi bump with the children was a little harder because they, they thought the harder they hit him, you know. And so well, you knock were, him out. He was killing. They were killing germs with their knuckles. <laughs> okay. getting, yeah. Almost getting blood transfer. Yeah, so, okay. But uh, as far as the numbers are concerned, let me say that these numbers are going to change. It's widespread in Arkansas right now. Consider widespread. I mean, we have a lot of areas that, that uh, have reported flu. Um, that the school, there have been several school closures, which is one way to stop the spread, unless the kids go to the mall and, you know, mingle at the mall. Um, and they should stay home. They should wash their hands uh, and uh, not should, be sneezing. Should you, should, you, should you take your child and, I mean, you can't totally quarantine them, but isn't it a good thing to like, keep them in their bedroom? Well, uh, I... Stay away I, I from suspect, me, son. I suspect that would be very difficult. Sure, it's the less contact they have with other people during during the flu season or during the time we know it's in the community. Sure, that makes sense too to not get the exposure. But that's that's sometimes a little bit hard to uh, to do, and especially if you have working parents and you're leaving your children at home. You know, you know, it's hard to lock them in a bedroom or something. Uh, but well, yeah. With modern heat and air systems that are central heat and air, the vents come into the room and they carry it out anyway. So it's to some degree to that's some degree. true. The, some of the uh, vent filter, the uh, vents or the filters that are used will help some. Can't, can't actually kill some of that, I guess. We don't kill it necessarily, but it'll contain it. Well, some, yeah, some of them will catch it, but they also make some that are um, that have the ultraviolet that yes. will actually kill some bacteria. Yeah, yeah, they're in the vent, not necessarily in the filters. But in the, right, they're in the, yeah, in, yeah. In the system. But with the flu, you're not killing a bacterium, you're with killing a virus. a virus. Correct. Uh, that's, that's totally I, different. I assume that ultraviolet can actually Yeah, and kill like a virus. The, there's some some systems now they built that can be put in a hospital room. And at, at, at the when a patient leaves the facility or the room, they can put one of these machines in the room and, and it circulates in the room filtering hmm. air and, and killing. They're also using them in uh, in locker rooms for athletes. Uh, oh, yeah. They're circulating. Just regular bacteria. There you have yeah. floating around a lot of cases. Both bacteria and, 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 and viruses. And it was big when we had that. The oil, well, when we have MRSA, the methicillin resistant. Hmm. My grandson had surgery uh, on Monday and was sent home because they didn't want him staying overnight because there had been so much flu around. So they didn't want to take the chance that he would contract the flu while he was in the hospital. That was over at Arkansas Children's Hospital. Well, you know, having been in charge of that uh, prevention control, infection control for several years, many years, uh, there's a good program going on there in surveillance and, uh, and uh, careful hand-washing. Uh, is the key to that prevention. No, that's cool. Um, let's take a quick break. When we come back, I, I read a story, and you know about stories about, uh, you know, science, because the, the reporter doesn't have a clue probably about what he's writing about. However, it 
interested me to see what it said. And there's researchers that believe using stem cells that they're going to be able to kill the flu virus. We'll talk about it with Dr. Yamauchi because I'll tell you what, if anybody know about it, it's him. We got the Dave Ellswick show coming up here on the uh, the here on uh, from the uh, the Capitol third floor house side. Don't forget about PI Roofing and Home Solutions. They're not just in the roofs now and uh, using their home repair expertise. They also now will give you absolutely great quality gutter cleaning services. They bought Tommy's gutter cleaning services and now. They will uh, take care of that for you. So when it comes to your roof, comes to your home repairs that you need, when it comes to your uh, gutters being cleaned, it's all at PI Roofing. So uh, if you've been a Tommy's Gutter Cleaning Service uh, person, know now that you get what PI Roofing has always offered, and that's comprehensive roofing and home repair expertise. You can learn more by going to PI Roofing. That's uh, PIRoofing.com. Yeah, I was over at BJ's today having lunch and uh, had lunch today with Dwayne Smith, uh, who's an insurance agent for Allstate, got his own uh, business, the Dwayne Smith Insurance Agency at 3920 East Keel Avenue in Sherwood. We thank all of you who have been giving him calls to get that free uh, j- uh, job that he will do. He'll take what uh, insurance you have and compare it with what he can get with you uh, from Mr. Mayhem at Allstate and uh, get you a good uh, insurance policy for your car, for your home, for your you know, life insurance, all of that. Call him at 501-819-0373. That's 501-819-0373. Or just drop by and visit with him at uh, Dwayne Smith Insurance Agency, 3920 East Keel Avenue in Sherwood. Our special guest, uh, Dr. Terry Yamauchi. He specializes in infectious diseases, and I, I kind of set up a question when we came back, and that being I had read an article that said that they're working on some form of uh, a vaccine using stem cell research that will allow you to get one shot, and it will make you immune to, um, to the flu. How far are they along with this doc, and how successful has it been? Do you know? It's had some success in some diseases or some um, situations, but it's not the answer yet. It's far from it. Now, when you're saying stem cells, excuse me, uh, we're talking about uh, material from that person that had been. I, for better terms, purified or sort of isolated, uh, isolated from within that person, and given back to that person in boost to increase because your body's constantly making these these factors, stem cells. Okay. Now, what the latest thing you've, you may have heard is that the there are some people that are getting injections on a regular basis to prevent aging. <laughs> now. You know, you can always find somebody that wants to try to prevent aging to stay younger or something. But uh, to this point, it's not being recommended by any real health organizations. Uh, the fact that it can boost immunity, we've tried to boost immunity, and to some degrees, we have been able to by using, you know, your own serum and your own. Uh, 
well, gamma globulins, uh, materials that your body produces. And we can protect against things like, like tetanus, measles, other, other diseases, but if we can give it at the appropriate time. But, uh, and certain factors like the uh, material to protect against flu or other infectious diseases have been moder- moderately purified so that the, theoretically you're giving a boost to that and you could boost your protection. But uh, at this time, I certainly couldn't recommend or give you any good information that, that would be so truthful. Is that the, the type of stem cell therapy where they kind of yeah. they, they extract it from your fat cells? Well, they they in, extract it from different places, different places. yeah. Um, and it's had some success, of course, in treating athletic injuries, okay. just like plasma, uh, platelet plasma... Uh, reinforced or uh, concentrated that they inject into joints and things like okay. that. Mm-hmm. So it is a it is a factor that's getting into the game, mm-hmm. but I, I don't know enough about it to, say, to make recommendations. I think there's going to be a lot more coming out, and I'd be very wary of anybody that's recommending it at this time. For it's, it's still pretty expensive too, isn't it? I imagine I, okay. I haven't looked into that. It's. Yeah. Yeah. If it's anti-aging, believe me, it's expensive. <laughs> All of those people are expensive. Yeah, but they get, they get it. <laughs> yeah. So. Well, sure. Some people don't want to ever get old, and they better understand you're going to get old. If someone's telling you they found a cure for getting old, they probably haven't. Yeah. <laughs> you're, you're well, probably- here's the other thing. And talking about news organizations, a lot of times they cover these stories, and they make it sound like this is like working right now, and it's going to be on the market in just a matter of months, and that's not the case. I uh, I told you I was at a lunch with uh, a French Hill just before I came here, and I asked him the question. He gave me a dirty look. I asked him, what are you going to do about the media? No, no. <laughs> oh, wow. And he looked at me, and... Uh, so he gave a good answer. Yeah, sixty-four million dollar question, not sixty-four thousand. We when that came out, but it was back in the fifties. Just like you alluded to here, you know, aging and who comes out with it, where it co- what it costs. Yeah, who's doing the test? Who's going you know? to buy it? So all of uh, that. Elizabeth had an interesting question. Go ahead, Elizabeth. When you have people in your household who are immune. Um, compromised yes at this time of year yes i mean is it a good idea to just like when i'm coming in and out just spray myself with disinfectant spray or what no no you don't, <laughs> you don't now of course if they're severely compromised and there are some people that have no virtually no protection they need to be in isolation in a room like well, right. the boy in the bubble or something like that but coming home you need to be very careful about sneezing and coughing on them. Oh, you yeah. should you Take your coat off and hang it somewhere else, you know, and be sure you're washing your hair, washing your hands. And if if you have a cold or something, you know, a mask might help. The mask would probably help more for telling people to stay away from you, which they try to. You know, in some countries like like Japan, you see walk you down see the street and you walk ground. around. It does very little. It works only if you breathe in. 
You get it? So walk around and hold your breath. And hold your breath. <laughs> That's it prob- well, that probably would work the- if you're not wearing a mask, <laughs> if you're not breathing in. Well, and I've seen people on planes wear masks yes, for no yes. reason at all except for the fact well, that they're on a plane and they're flying. And then you see some people that wear the mask down here. Oh, oh yeah. Underneath their nose. I, yeah. see, I see doctors doing that. Oh. You just- Do you get to go up and snatch it off their face? <laughs> I just look at it. <laughs> well, isn't it true that a lot of the bacteria that you actually would spew out is actually coming out of your nose because your nose catches so much. The nose is more so dangerous much. than the mouth, That's isn't right. it? And it's good for your nose to catch it. You want it to catch in your nose and not in your oh, mouth gosh. somewhere because your nose is better <laughs> equipped for catching yeah, crud. But, yeah, That's, right. That's exactly right. Because <laughs> so your nose is, is more dangerous than your mouth, right? And most of the bass that you see around or buy are not the grade that you, you know, they don't seal real well. They don't seal. That's, that's exactly right. Now, with you, they don't seal very well No, at all. not much at all. I have to wear a snorkel with a, with, a, with a filter on the Too much whiskers. or something. Huh? Yeah, so, you have whiskers. Here's yeah. a good question for you. Last question I'll ask, and I'll let you get out of here. And that is, those neti pots that you read about where you run the water up into your sinuses and it gathers it at uh, the bottom, I would think that might compromise your immune system because you're washing out all the stuff that catches the bad stuff. Of course, I've never studied that, but to me, you know, I would ask a couple questions. One is, how do you clean it? Do you have specific special instructions? Because I've got a couple friends that wear CPAPs and they have to do something like that. Right. And I said, how do you clean it? Boiling water. Well, they said, what? (laughs) <laughs> you know so see, now you know they you, don't <laughs> you think what I try to get across is common sense things think you know you put something in there that's going to come back in you you're putting germs in there or whatever you're putting in there it's going to come back later unless you get rid of it so I had recurring sinus infections until yeah. a friend of mine told me that trick I don't use a neti pot I use my hand and just suck it up and just And I have not, knock on wood, had sinus infections ever since. Rinsing your sinuses does help. And I do it in the shower. But but remember that that you also are getting rid of some of the humoral things and things. Terry, thanks so much for coming on. We appreciate it. News is next. We'll be back. iPad, it is, right? It is now. All right, back with you. Uh, Third floor. House side, our thanks to Dr. Terry Yamauchi and uh, Brianne Davis, Senator, has not shown up yet. She may have forgotten as they have. Uh, they get excited about going home. Yeah, they look forward, and she's heading back to Russellville, so she'd like to get get out there. That's course, about a. Of course, she may a, still show up too. We don't. A little over an hour go, drive going to Russellville. Yeah, probably at least. You know, to do that. So. Uh, you tried to get Robin, Robin uh, Lundstrom, but she I, got through I, the she doors got through the before doors you could. And, and then I talked to the guard there, and he looked into the side, and she was already gone. Yeah, she's so, out of here. Uh, All right. We'll get her next week. I really want to talk to her because she's done she's done a lot of good things thus far. She's got a couple different pieces sessions. of legislation, and I've forgotten what they are. Well, she got the uh, the one eighteen yeah uh, that's the eighteen, 18 week, week abortion uh, abortion bill, bill that went through, and it's gotten through the House, I believe, okay. and it's on its way to the Senate. So okay. that a lot of good pro life bills have already been heard and, and taken care of. She's working with the uh, Republican Women's Caucus. Uh, I don't know which particular bill she's working on. Um, 
maybe it's the cancer one. They're trying to, you know, get a a, a special cancer treatment cancer center research. here. Yeah. yeah. Here in uh, in Arkansas with uh, UAMS, so they're working. She's uh, working working on that as far as that's concerned. And then you've got. Um, she had a constitutional amendment, didn't she? Uh, yeah, that's the one about uh, judges being a partisan race. Oh, right. That I she has as well, that that was, that was and which a, I am all about. Kind of a big deal. I want to know a- if a judge is a Republican, a Democrat. Uh, Green Party or whatever, because it, if nothing more, it kind of yeah. gives you a well, little bit of a something. basis of what they view and think of things. Right, so you really t- think there are Obama and Trump judges, do you? Yeah, mm-hmm. yeah. you really do. Hey, it's pretty, pretty <laughs> yeah. easy. Well, to and it's pretty it easy out. to figure that one out. Well, because yeah. right now, a lot of times you ask judges their philosophy about things, and they just won't tell you. They'll just say, "Well, I can't." I can't tell that because I might have to talk about it. Now, I've got around that a little bit. I asked, pick the Supreme Court justice that that you you most, you know, you most are like. And if they say to me, Kagan, it's not somebody I want to vote for. (laughs) If they say, you know, Justice Thomas, I'm probably going to cast. John Roberts. Yeah, that's a, you know what that is? If, If they like John Roberts, that means flip a coin. Yeah, you don't know Talk what's about a coming. Disappointment. Well, he's he's now going to be the new Kennedy. It looks like. Yep, and that's what he's and, taking. And I think um, part of that's just that we've got so many judges that that believe in this doctrine of stare decisis, and I think that may be part of his problem that All he right. wants to maintain. Tell everybody what you're talking about. Stare decisis is is um, where they follow precedent. From um, old Supreme Court Your Latin cases. phrase of the day is <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> stare decisis, and, and so so what happens is that I, I think some of these judges, while they may be personally conservative, they also believe in this doctrine of stare decisis, which is the doctrine that gave us Roe v. Wade and why we've killed about sixty million unborn children, and and so I think even among conservative, so-called conservative justices, they still will often uphold this doctrine, even in cases where they may disagree. Which is kind of bizarre to, the, to to a lot of us who actually think the Constitution should stand as it's written as opposed to how it's been traditionally interpreted or misinterpreted. You actually want a judge to adjudicate a case based on its merits and the based on the Constitution and the facts? Yes. Yes. Wow. As opposed what a to, concept. As opposed to what they teach in law school. What a concept. Right. Yeah, right. that's... Um, can, I think we're far people, away away from that. Yeah, I think we've we moved are, away from that. Well, that's why when... Uh, What's his name from COS was here. Mm-hmm. He asked you which constitution do you believe in? The thirteen page constitution, twenty five hundred page, or the ten thousand page? Mm-hmm. Yeah. The, the the fake one that's been rewritten and legislated from the Supreme Court, or the one that's actually written and um, and in the actual constitution. And I had a law student tell me, oh, several months ago that that. When they take an oath to uphold the Constitution, what they really are taking an oath to is the written Constitution and the the um, interpreting cases. They may think that it does not say it that. No, it actually Thank doesn't make, very it, make it true. But the problem is they're they're taught to believe that apparently in law school, and this is what this is the kind of pool of people that we pull judges from. People and that are, that legislators. Are, well, a lot of legislators are attorneys as well. <laughs> Huge but, number. But all of Arkansas judges 
are attorneys. You cannot be a judge in Arkansas. That's you cannot right. be elected to a judge position in Arkansas unless you isn't are an that, attorney. Isn't that interesting that you must be an attorney where if you become a Supreme Court justice, you do not have right. to have any kind of teaching in the law at right. all. Yeah, that's right. You don't, you, there is not that kind of requirement. That should make you feel really well, Elizabeth. I could be a Supreme Court justice. What that says to me is, once again, we are so big and so out of control. The left hand doesn't know what the right hand is doing, and it's just a total mess. It's it's kind of a pain in the neck to change the U.S. Constitution, and no one's ever gotten around to changing the U.S. Constitution to make it a requirement that someone be an attorney. In order to, to I think I'd change it the other way. Oh, I agree. <laughs> no, I, I think that's probably a better idea is to make it illegal for if I, you know, if I had my druthers and could just wave my wand. Well, and, and one of the things about one of the things about having attorneys as judges, they're a member of the same party. They're they're both members of the judicial branch because attorneys are effectively um, officers of the court, as I understand it. And so, I, in my opinion, that makes that makes them both members of the same branch, and and um, so they're they're. It's kind of a little bit of a weird situation when they're they come before each other, the attorneys argue in front of the in front of the judges, and then then, you, then when you have attorneys becoming legislators or even members of the executive branch, then they're, they're members of two branches at the same time because they're part of the executive branch and now that's a scary deal and the judicial branch. Well, the thing that's always been I have always questioned. I mean. You go to see if something's constitutional, basically, in front of the Supreme Court of the United States or your Supreme Court uh, of the state, because they're going to tell you whether you're constitutional, national, and state. Right. Uh, but things that come up before them that is being decided about them, to me, seems to be a conflict, a conflict of interest. Sure. And there should be somebody else that's making that decision. Well, I think maybe the appropriate approach when you actually have cases that are a clear conflict of interest, like like what if there's a case arguing about whether or not there should be um, video cameras in the Supreme Courtroom? You know, I don't think it's really appropriate for the Supreme Court to hear that case. I think it's more appropriate for the legislature to hear that case. Well, that's the point that I'm making Yeah, I know. Here. I agree. And I agree with that because I think, you know, at some point, it's if there's no way to, to avoid the conflict of interest. Maybe you need to have someone else adjudicate it. Yeah, have them all, you know, recuse them. I suppose it could go to federal court. Oh, boy. Now appeals. we get, you know, who are you going to have to do that adjudication? And I then agree. how many other right. special circumstances do we need? Right. Special yeah. adjudic- I mean, this right. gets so right. out of it, hand it, so fast. It, it is an interesting case, but, but and I think part of the part of what can be can help with some of this is is for the for the legislature to be more active at holding the courts accountable and then some of this stuff wouldn't be such a big problem because the, the judges would be more respectful of their role all right let's get a break in coming up at four o'clock we uh had heard that uh, joyce elliott would join us she has sent us a since we talked about it has sent us a message saying that she had forgotten about a meeting that she had and will not be able to join us at 4.30, Josh is going to be, Silverstein is going to be with us. He's going to talk about what's going on as far as uh, the uh, court case that came out of the Supreme Court yesterday dealing with asset forfeiture, which has been a real uh, pain in my rear for years, and we'll talk more about it. I'll tell you a story about Louisiana that's a perfect case in, in uh, point of why I don't like asset forfeiture. That's coming up here. 
in just a minute. Let me tell you about Sonny's Auto Salvage. If you need a piece for your uh, car, because let's say your engine blows, like mine did one day, just uh, a few weeks back. I pulled out of my subdivision, applied the accelerator, and it made all kinds of a banging noise and then stopped. Well, my engine died. And I ended up going to talk to R.D. over at Sunny's Auto Salvage. We found how much the cost was going to be for the engine, how much for the uh, uh, mechanical work that would be necessary. And it was about 50% less than going out and getting an OEM or one made by a company, and then you put it into your car. Now, I used uh, one of their engines that they got out of a car that had been in an accident. It had caused the car to be a total lost vehicle. And so, uh, but the engine still worked perfectly fine. They tested it. They looked at it. They, they did all the things they could do to make sure it worked perfectly. And they put it in my car. My car runs better than it did with the original engine in it. I mean, it's got more pickup now than it has in the last two years. You can get the guarantees, you can get the standard warranties, and uh, you can make your car almost brand new again. Now, think the other way. You can pay 50% more just so you get a relatively new engine, or you can go out and buy a new car. I went, as I always tell you people, I would go green when it saved me green, and this saves me green, and so I use Sonny's Auto Salvage. They're your number one choice for recycled auto parts. If you want to check and see if this is right for you, I suggest that you call Sonny's Auto Salvage. It's 982-7451. 982-7451. It's not just engines. It's transmissions. It's, uh, you know, uh, you name the part and they'll find it for you. And they'll save you a whole lot of money. That's Sunday's Auto Salvage, 982-7451. Interesting. I typically don't talk about sports, but I am going to talk. Well, Marianne Davis is here. All right. Good job. Come on in. Hey, Senator, which puts you right in front of that one there. So I kind of messed it up. I gave her my phone number, but it wasn't all of my phone numbers, so she couldn't contact me. Let me just tell you something real quick. College basketball star Mm -hmm, mm -hmm. uh, Zion Williamson hurt himself last night, and Nike joined the rest of the basketball world in holding their breath as the company that once launched an ad campaign on the phrase, it's got to be the shoes, <laughs> must have been thinking, please, please, please don't let it have been the shoes. Uh, one of his shoes screwed up last night, and he hurt himself, hurt his knee badly. Now, there's no, I haven't heard whether he's out for the rest of the season or what, because i me tell you what, he's an integral part of the Duke team that's been rated number one several times this year. Last night, they got their heads handed to him by North Carolina. Well, he went out early in the game. Yeah. Early. They didn't have any answer. His shoe, I mean, his foot literally came through the side of the shoe, came out of yeah. the shoe. The shoe blew up on him. Yeah, he was he was lost to a knee injury just seconds into the key game uh, against North Carolina when his foot slid on the floor and his Nike-made shoe 
exploded. Yeah, one one leg and knee is going one direction, and one leg and knee is going kind of the other direction. It looks pretty bad. It does not look good. So um, I'll check into it later because there'll be some. Let's just put it this way: hashtag bracket. That's on this story. Uh, Nike shares went down yesterday because of it. I can only imagine that that would happen. I'm going to have you, Senator, move that microphone right up to you so we'll hear you real well. Tell us a little bit about this particular piece of legislation you're looking at about uh, that you think it's wrong to constitutionally insert your company's name into the Arkansas Constitution. Yes, yes, there's several issues, I believe, with Amendment 100. Um, one of them is that, um, that you know, company, companies are now uh, writing their name into our state constitution. But really the biggest thing for me and my reason in filing that is um, because they listed specific counties to be eligible for casino license. And um, those counties were, uh, some were asked if they were interested and some were not. And Pope County was not asked if we were interested. So, you know, we had the state, 74 other counties voting on whether or not we should get a casino license. Oh, yeah. I I argued this point when this Mm -hmm. came up, that we were going to have a problem with this. How do you think this plays out? Um, You know... The legislature obviously only has three things that they can refer out to the voters, and so um, I don't think that one will end up getting out of committee. Uh, but I just at least wanted to bring attention to it that you know we're putting things on the ballot and we're voting on things for very you know as um, conservatives um, across the state we talk about local control a lot, and um, this is something where you have the entire state voting on um, an issue for. A, few counties um and the amendment didn't even have a local option Mm -hmm. for those counties so the people don't even get to vote to decide it's just if the rest of the state tells us so you know we've got to do it at some point that's not right well and i and i agree with you and there's been several pieces of legislation popping up now Mm -hmm. uh here at the, the legislature i don't know if any of them have gotten in front of committees yet but you 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 have people talking about the whole process of the way that you can make a change to the Constitution has to be changed because some people have found loopholes and they know how to beat the system. Mm -hmm. Yes, so there are several pieces of legislation and Representative Joe Cloud and myself have also filed one um, and I think you'll see some more. Um, But essentially the um, Constitution says that the legislature can amend a measure by two-thirds vote. Um, and a measure is, um, you know, any amendment to the Constitution. Okay. And so we've got about 100 of them. And uh, so the idea is that if we can get two-thirds vote on whichever bill can get through both sides, um, that will ultimately end up at the Supreme Court. Uh, um, there is... We were talking about this just a, just a little bit ago. Yeah, we were yeah. talking yes. about this. Okay, okay. Yeah, because there's precedent from a case long ago, uh, 1951. Right. But the interesting thing is, though, they're uh, ruling last year with sovereign immunity just saying, the con- well, actually, the Constitution means what it says. Mm-hmm. And if you look at the Constitution, it says by two-thirds vote, the legislature can amend a measure. Um, so I think it um, will be interesting and important for us to challenge that um, in their ruling and, and see, you know, do they really th- you know, stand by it means what it says or do they have a different opinion? So if you start litigation... To try to get this in front of the Supreme Court, will it stop everything going on in the Russellville area? 
as far as a casino being built? I don't know about that. I mean, right now, based on this today, the Racing Commission approved their final draft of rules to be sent to the um, Rules Committee in the legislature. Okay. And it says that um, an applicant must uh, supply a letter of support from a current county judge or mayor. So currently there are no letters of support out there. Um, so there's no qualified applicants in Pope County as okay. it stands. Right. Uh, so we'll see. A- and the application process hasn't even opened yet. That'll be March or April. So that's when it'll get interesting mm-hmm. then is what you're telling me. Yes, that's when it will definitely get interesting. Okay. Because mm-hmm. there's going to there's gonna be money involved in putting in an application, will it not? Uh, yes. Yes. Okay. Mm-hmm. And I'm sure it will be significant. So, yes. <laughs> so while, while I have you on here, while we have you on you here, if the Supreme Court basically rules against what the Constitution actually says, do you think there's much appetite to maybe proceed with impeachment? Because if the judges are going to throw out the actual Constitution, I think that's gross misbehavior, gross misconduct. Well, I mean, they could refer back to the case from 1951. They could, but it's not law. That was that was tradition, also. Yes, it's and certainly so, precedent. But you know, I don't know. I, I just think they're. I, you know, kind of feel bad for the courts because they're going to have a lot to decide. You just came here to cause problems, <laughs> Yes, they're going to have a lot to decide. So That's a great question. Mm-hmm. And I voted against that bill because it was going to put the uh-huh. names of two companies in it. And I, or that constitutional amendment, I mm-hmm. did not want to see it happen. Uh-huh. Yes. And and they have a license that never expires. And not, and not to say that, well, gosh... Oaklawn and Southland didn't have any reason to do some of the things they did, and was it just by coincidence that uh, you know, they're going to spend a hundred and ten million at Oaklawn and another what was it, two hundred million over at Southland? Uh-huh. I mean, like come that. on, let's mm-hmm. think about this for just a moment. Yeah, they they played the citizenry of the state. They really mm-hmm. did. Yeah. Senator, thanks for coming by. Thank you so Let's much. Let's try to do this uh, next week. There's more to talk about here. Yes, there's a lot a lot moving quickly, so well, that'll be good. Go home. I know you, you want well, to go home. Well, we've got state agencies. I'm okay. Home, so. All right. Thank you. We'll see you later now. All right. we got to get a break mm-hmm. in. Let's do that, and then we'll be back thanks with more here from the third floor on the House side on the Dave Ellswick Show. Take it up there the right one. All right, uh, I got to talk. Uh, I tr- I've tried not to talk about this, and and that's this uh, this Jesse Smollett uh, deal that went down. That he faked this attack on him. Mm-hmm. Uh, that the the attacker sent him an anonymous note about him being nothing more than a a black fag, and you fill in the re- rest of the, the word and all this other stuff and. Uh, now it's been found out that it was all a fake, that he paid people money to to testify in his behalf to the police, that he had been attacked, and the scratch marks that he had on him, he did himself, scratched himself and all the rest. But this is what blows me away. I, I read some of this stuff. While many have associated Empire actor Jesse Smollett's name with potential felony, Van Jones of CNN has a very different name in mind. (laughs) He has Major League Baseball icon Jackie Robinson. Jackie Robinson, the first black ball player in Major League history, he's comparing him to. According to Fox News, Van Jones made the bizarre comparison between Robinson and Smollett 
on Thursday during a rant about how beneficial the actor has been to the black community. His uh, comments followed Chicago PD's testimony that Smollett is now alleged to have staged a hoax hate crime against himself. Quote, this is the fall of an icon. And I don't think people understand how important he has been in the black community, unquote. Uh, the, uh, Jones said on Thursday, Empire as a show, to have him as a beloved character, I think did a great deal to knock black homophobia in the black community. The fact that he has been celebrated and you see homophobia in the black community through his eyes on the show, this is a Jackie Robinson against homophobia. Unlike Jackie Robinson, the first major league ball player to break the color barrier in 1947, the 36-year-old Smollett has been working in the entertainment industry virtually unimpeded since childhood, during which he starred in such hit children's movies like The Mighty Ducks and North. In adulthood, he has starred in Academy Award-nominated movies like Marshall and summer blockbusters like Alien Covenant. On Empire, the actor allegedly amassed for himself a salary of a a, a million dollars, $65,000 per episode, possibly more, which he apparently felt dissatisfied with to the point of staging the hoax hate crime for publicity purposes. How this compares to Jackie Robinson, an American hero, is unclear at best. Van Jones is not the only commentator on CNN to spin this uh, hate hoax fiasco into a kind of Shakespearean downfall while still offering room for image rehabilitation. On Wednesday, anchor Don uh, Lemon blamed Smollett's downfall in the court of public opinion on the media. Nothing against morning shows. I love all my colleagues there. I think they do a great job, but that's not where it is now, Lemon said. Come on a show like this or any of my colleagues and sit down with us live for an hour or however long it takes. Answer the questions that need to be answered from real journalists. I shouldn't say that from journalists who don't have to worry about the entertainment arm of their particular company. He lost because not his fault. Maybe people were, I don't know what they were saying to him, maybe because of his representatives, who knows, but it was handled poorly. Others have suggested that Smollett should not be punished for the crime of frauding the public and wasting taxpayer dollars. Some have said people should have more compassion for his mental state. Washington Examiner Magazine Executive Editor Seth Mandel tweeted, quote, Jesse Smollett royally messed up in what's beginning to look like more a cry for help than anything else. I don't see how sending him to prison accomplishes that, so I hope it doesn't reach that point. There you go. That's the left protecting the left. What can I tell you? That is an situation because how do you punish someone when they've basically sent the government, the police, on a wild goose chase? And here's Josh Silverstein just yeah, walking well, up. Bottom line is, if you fall, if you fall, they've got 
they've got uh, punishments for falsifying reports. Oh, sure. They need to use them against this well, guy. Well, and the type, uh, the resources that were taken away sure. that could have been spent on real crime. Yeah, maybe somebody. I mean, the died Chicago police are fairly livid about this whole thing. Oh, and yeah. I don't blame them. They're ticked off. I don't blame them. Yep. Think, Let's ask I mean, Josh. Josh, Josh, I have something to say, I bet you. They spent 50, 50 different surveillance cameras. They spent all kinds of time trying to review, looking, trying looking. to look. What do you find. think of this Smollett thing? I'm trying not to follow that story that carefully. <laughs> oh, okay. We were trying to not to either, but... <laughs> but don't, don't we have to say, you know, you, fall, you file a false report. I mean, you, you have your buddies beat you up. You scratch yourself up yourself and everything, and you make kind of concoct these kind of things up. I'm sure that there are things that they can charge him with, that they need to charge him and, Absolutely. and hammer yes. him with it. Filing a false police report. I agree easy. with that. When people file false reports, it undercuts the credibility of everyone who follows a legitimate Absolutely. report. Absolutely. Yeah. So all he's done is basically hurt everyone involved. Because he wanted more money. Instead of a million dollars a year, he wanted more money. That's just crazy. $65,000 an episode this guy was making. And, you know, I just can't help but always think, does, do these people just never think about, if I get caught, oh my gosh. But why should not I not only not my, only do I not friends get, would never flip on me. <laughs> well, it wouldn't be your friends. I mean, my gosh, there's cameras everywhere. But not only do I not get what I think I'm going to get, but guess what? Not I'm only have I ruined my reputation, I've ruined a movement. I've ruined a lot of yeah. things. And that's what a lot of people are starting to say about him. You know, again, I'll just say this is this is except people, for Van Jones. Van, Van Jones called Smollett. Jackie Robinson today. He had to twist himself into quite a pretzel to do no, that. Look at Josh. <laughs> look at the camera. <laughs> wow. It's true. That's an unbelievable. It is really unbelievable. He's he's set a lot of things back because of what he's done. No doubt about it. I hope it anyway, changes how, some conversations. That's how much I wanted to talk about, just that small uh, amount. Well, and you're a lawyer, so I can bring this up to you. Sure. All right. If you're Zion Williamson and your tennis shoe blows out and your hands down, this guy's going to be the number one pick in the NBA draft. He's got an $8 million insurance policy if something happens to him. What do you do to Nike? Well, it depends because it's possible that the shoe was the result of a manufacturing defect, in which case there would be liability. But it's also possible that this was a freak occurrence that Nike wasn't responsible for, and so that'll be something that'll have to be investigated. I've never seen a shoe do that. I have not either. I ran track and cross country, and I've never seen shoes do that. So it's really hard to know what happened. But if it was a manufacturing problem on Nike's part or a design problem, he will have a claim yeah. against them. Yeah. Now, here's what I say. Big time. Maybe he really doesn't want to play in the NBA. Maybe he faked it. Maybe he cut the shoe <laughs> before he started the game well, so that or, it would split open. Yeah, even, yeah. Maybe you just he, never it, know. It, it's even possible. Maybe he maybe he, he he bumped up against something and slit the side of it a little bit and didn't realize it. It's possible. Looking at Who that, it'd be a pretty big... Well, but, good but, cut, but one but of the things, one of the things you, you, in 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 dealing with materials, sometimes you get a scratch, like like a piece of glass. You scratch it, and you can break it a lot easier than if it never was scratched. And so sometimes you can have a situation like that. You get just a, a little bit of a start, and it goes the rest of the way a whole lot easier than it would have 
it didn't. So I don't know. I mean, who knows what it was. But you're still dealing with someone who's an upper-level athlete that's really pushing his equipment to the limits. A lot of torquing of that's that right. foot and, and so, shoe, yeah. And so most of us may never have the physical strength to make that happen. <laughs> and so maybe maybe he just he, he just literally pushed his shoes past the limits right. and broke it. Yeah, maybe he's strong enough to go beyond the parameters of a reasonably manufactured shoe, and right. Nike did nothing right. wrong. And he, he, he may have gone four or five times How past. would you ever prove that in a court of law? So generally when it comes to issues like that, we bring in expert witnesses who have engineering backgrounds and athletic backgrounds, and they would testify about that. And you could also run tests on the shoes mm-hmm. to look at the shoe to see if this was defective in some way. And you would bring in people who design shoes to testify about how shoes are properly designed. So anytime you have a case that involves complex facts like this, the lawyers have to learn that particular field to help the experts yep. present it to the jury. So that's how it would work. Yeah. See, this reminds me of an old joke about the guy that's sitting at a bar and a guy comes up to him and he says, come on, man, I want to race you. And he says, race me? What kind of car you got? I don't have a car. <laughs> I'm just going to run. And the guy goes, you understand that I have one of the most powerful engines made in my car. He says, come on, man. You scared? <laughs> Think I'm going to beat you? Huh? Huh? So they, he finally gets tired of the guy. He says, come on. They go outside. Guy gets in his car, pulls out in the street. Guy is going to run, gets on him. He starts up. They take off. Ten miles an hour, guys, right with the car. <laughs> Twenty miles an hour. He's still with the car. So the guy gets tired with this, and he stomps on the accelerator. He's up to 60. The guy's still there. 70, still there. Ooh. 80, he looks up, and he's gone. And he looks up in his rearview mirror and doesn't see him and he turns around goes back and he finds him in a ditch next to the road he says dude are you all right he says yeah i'm all right but have you ever had a tennis shoe blow out at 75 miles an hour (laughs) there you go that's exactly it (laughs) so i'm just saying (laughs) that's exactly it i'm just saying man because they've been saying his shoe blew out that's what they that's how they've been you know describing it the media has it, it was a. It, it's not the most dramatic piece of video I've ever seen, but it was interesting. I saw it several times, and it sort of almost doesn't look like it could cause that to happen, but yet it happened. I know he turned and he, he turns went down, and he just goes down. So change of direction, okay? Well, yeah. Big change of direction, yeah. lots of torque. Yeah, who knows? And, and the fact is that sometimes manufacturing defects just happen on a kind of a, a freak basis but you I mean, know the way the way things are so interrelated in our world i just find it very interesting that the nike stock it went down has dropped well, it dropped because i of mean this. boom There's one people, shoe. you know people well one. people are looking at it and go this is going to impact sales I gotta believe there's a and lot. And I'm of thinking of what there. you said earlier. I guess you'd also ask how many other people have had this type of shoe absolutely uh, problem. And let me see your shoes and it tell might, me about it, what happened. It might be a one time because thing, I haven't though. ever heard of it anywhere else. I'm going to tell you what. It Nike better hope it was a one time thing <laughs> because if there's any history. I would not want to be them. Yeah, they want to be on the other side of that that proving (laughs) to prove that it's not us. (laughs) Absolutely. All right, so Josh is going to be with us for uh, most of the rest of the show. Um, We promise we won't stay on this. Okay, (laughs) we brought him in to talk about the uh, asset forfeiture ruling by the Supreme Court yesterday. 
I'll tell you my story about asset forfeiture. It didn't happen to me, but it was it's something that happened in the state of Louisiana that I think you need to hear about and why it's uh, you know so important. Robert Steinbach just hit me and said, I should ask you about freedom of contract bill. So we'll talk about that as Sounds well. Sounds good. So all that's coming your way. Hey, don't forget you can learn the little-known strategies that can help you save tens of thousands of dollars in taxes with a free tax reduction analysis. It's from David Lucas of David Lucas Financial, who's the host of the David Lucas Show right here on 101.1 FM, The Answer. David's a publisher, uh, published author, and he's uh, right here in Little Rock. This free analysis will reveal the little-known strategies and loopholes that could help you save thousands of dollars in taxes concerning your IRA, 401K, Social Security benefits, and more. So get your free analysis. Be one of the first 10 callers now at 501-653-6690. It's your opportunity to save tens of thousands of dollars in taxes in retirement. 501-653-6690. That's 501-653-6690. Back with uh, Josh and Elizabeth and uh, Paul here on the Dave Ellswick Show, third floor on the house side of the Capitol. All right, so yesterday the Supreme Court of the United States of America ruled uh, that uh, some changes got to be made on um, this asset forfeiture stuff. An easy way for you to grab hold of this is, is if you, when you were growing up, you used to watch Miami Vice. And on Miami, and this was during when the drug trade was going big down in Florida. Well, if they broke, if they busted a, a group that was selling drugs or they got a person who was a big drug dealer, and let's say he had uh, a vet that he drove, and they know that he got that vet by using... Uh, the money from selling drugs, they would confiscate the car. And they, would, they did that a lot. And the uh, DEA would use those cars uh, as a methodology to portray drug dealers themselves. Okay, that, that's one way. Or you could have lived in Louisiana with a, a U.S. Highway or the United States Interstate Highway 10 goes along the bottom of the, uh, uh, of the uh, uh, state. And they would pull you over and they would profile you and they would say, hmm, Hispanic, got a big boat that they're pulling behind. Uh, Let's pull them over and we'll toss, toss them and see what we come up with because we all know that people driving from florida direction going towards the texas direction are probably drug dealers and so they pull them over and uh, they would confiscate the boats and stuff now here was the bad part and the, the the federal government got involved in this because if they took something if they if they uh, you know took a boat or let's say in one case they had a guy driving across and they stopped him uh, for speeding and they found him with uh, $165,000 in his car. They confiscated the money saying the only way you got that much money was by selling drugs. They took the money from him and uh, he never got it back and a third of that money went to the judge a third of that money went to the sheriff's department, and a third of that money went to the prosecutors. That's insane. Can you say that 
kangaroo court. <laughs> I mean, that's pretty much a kangaroo court. You got it. That, that, that's and incredible. And so this enough. stuff needs to stop because it, it's just not in it, Louisiana. It's happening. I'm just insane. telling you. So, sounds outrageous. Well, it is outrageous. <laughs> it doesn't just sound outrageous. It was. And they got punished for it. However, it still goes on now. Johnson, you can talk about it. So what you're pointing out is the fact that civil forfeiture has moved from some degree from a mechanism of punishment to a mechanism of revenue generation. Yes. And when civil forfeiture is used to make money from municipalities, for police departments, for prosecutors' offices, it creates perverse incentives for those agents of the government to use it to bring in money to their own departments. Now, most of them behave ethically most of the time, but even when they're behaving honestly, the incentives it creates leads them to go overboard and civil forfeiture is greatly overused in our country it's a serious problem well the dea used it for decades to finance themselves themselves that's exactly what they did that's what happens in a lot of places that that they will finance some of their own operations and i think one of the one of the things i think that 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 can happen is that they make focus on some of these maybe victimless crimes that can that can generate lots of revenue for themselves. Right. Instead of focusing on real crimes like murder or rape or some of that nature. Yeah, drug running. I mean, I, I can agree with that. The, the state doesn't make money on murder cases. The, 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 the local local authorities, they don't, they don't, they can't collect lots of money on a murder case because a lot of times, at least in, in probably most cases, they don't get these big asset forfeiture situations where they, they might have a hundred thousand in cash or five hundred thousand in cash. All right. Well Josh, we've got news coming up. When we come back, I'm gonna just kind of turn this over to you and just say what happened in this case before the Supreme Court. I can do that. How broad of an application is it going to have uh, in law enforcement? So we want to talk about all of this here coming up. Uh, we'll have uh, some news for you here in just a moment, about sixty seconds, enough to Get your appetite ready for five minutes at the top of the hour, and we'll tell you about some people who make this show possible. We're coming in from the uh, third floor of the Capitol on the House side. Back in a moment. All right, I have to do this for Josh like I do for Robert. Josh uh, works uh, over at the Bowen School of Law. Uh, He is with, of course, UALR. And uh, everything that he's going to say over the next half hour is his opinion, and his opinion only does not necessarily reflect the uh, law school or the university. You have been given dispensation. Thank you, sir. All right, good. (laughs) You don't have to worry now, so cut loose. No, I'm just kidding. Go ahead and and bring us up to date on what all happened yesterday, and is it is big of a, I mean, it's a front-page article in today's paper. How big of a deal is this? So what the Supreme Court did is it said that the excessive fines clause in the Eighth Amendment to the Constitution applies to the states. We always think of the Bill of Rights as being our fundamental rights. Mm -hmm. But originally, the Bill of Rights only applied to the federal government. It's only in the 20th century that the Supreme Court determined that the 14th Amendment, adopted back in the 19th century, was meant to apply the Bill of Rights to the states. How interesting. The problem is that the court has adopted this process called selective incorporation. They've been kind of slow at it. Right, meaning the court says that not the entire Bill of Rights applies to the states. 
It's not all incorporated into the 14th Amendment. Only selected provisions are those that are fundamental. And so throughout the 20th century and now the 21st century, the court has been saying, well, this part of the First Amendment is fundamental, or this part of the Fifth Amendment is fundamental, or the Second Amendment is fundamental, like it said about nine years ago. What happened yesterday is the Supreme Court decided that the excessive fines clause is fundamental. And so it will now apply to all of the states. It will bar every state in the union from imposing excessive fines. That's the first major thing the Supreme Court did. The second thing they did is to determine that civil forfeiture is a type of fine. And so the excessive fines clause will actually impose limitations on civil asset forfeiture like we were talking about before the break. Here's what we don't know. The standard is excessive fines. Yeah, what's that definition? The courts are uh, somewhat inconsistent on what actually constitutes an excessive fine. So it's going to take some time for subsequent decisions to determine precisely where the line is for excessive. Even the Supreme Court yesterday didn't say the fine in the particular case was excessive. It reversed and sent the case back to the lower courts to decide, is this forfeiture of the car in this case excessive? What the lower courts had said, in particular the Indiana Supreme Court, is you don't even get to make that argument. So all the Supreme Court of the United States has said, at least you get to now make the argument. And so part part of their issue there was that the the maximum penalty for that crime was $10,000. Right. And this vehicle... It was actually an ATV of sorts, I think. The guy had just paid like $42,000 for it. Right. And so if we use the the standard that the state had already established for the crime of $10,000, then I think it's reasonable to assume that making the guy pay $40,000 or $42,000 is excessive because it's way above and beyond right. the state mandate, the state law. I think that's right. Most of the different standards the courts have used to determine whether something is excessive would find that this particular seizure of a 40,000 plus vehicle for a $10,000 maximum is excessive. In fact, a number of courts have said that any level above the statutory criminal maximum raises an issue. Mm -hmm. And then if you maybe double, that's when it really becomes a serious problem. And this is quadruple. So I think this defendant stands a good chance of getting the car back. Right, and so there's, and that's that doesn't necessarily even deal with the excessive. Because I, I was I was sitting through court with a friend of mine the other day. Some kid had less than a gram of marijuana on him, and his fine was like nine hundred plus. Right, that sounds outrageous, outrageous to me. I mean, of course, who am I? I? I'm not really in a position to get to make that decision. But what is excessive? Does does a seatbelt? If a, if a state passes a seatbelt violation and puts a, a fine of $2,500 on it, is that excessive? I think it is. I'm not necessarily in a position to make that decision, but the Eighth Amendment does address ex- ex- excessive fines, and there's room for judgment there, but there's right. still reasonable minds can differ somewhat, but there's still a line somewhere. Absolutely. There will be certain fines that are clearly not excessive, and certain fines that clearly are excessive, and then there'll be this gray middle ground Mm -hmm. where, as you put it, reasonable minds will differ. But there will be clear cases where a fine is excessive. And from what I've seen, 
the standard that most courts use, they would find this particular forfeiture to be excessive, more than four times the statutory maximum already permitted for penalties. So, Josh, if if this this case has come out now, this means that the people who are in this ca- in this capital are going to have to consider that when they write laws, when they pass Correct. laws. Correct. And make sure that they don't run afoul of federal law. That is correct. Once a, a, an amendment in the Bill of Rights is incorporated, is the locution, the phrase that's used, it's incorporated into the 14th Amendment, and the 14th Amendment applies to all of the states. Once something from the Bill of Rights is treated as part of the umbrella of the 14th Amendment, all the states have to deal with it. The legislature, the courts, the police... Everyone, And they should have been doing it all along because the Eighth Amendment existed all this time. And I think we should have understood it that way, but it hasn't been treated that way. So I agree with you. I do not like the theory of what is called selective incorporation, that only some of the Bill of Rights well, applies. Because the 14th Amendment doesn't make that, doesn't specify that. I agree. And so I am a strong proponent of complete incorporation, where the entire Bill of Rights, everything in Amendments 1 through 8 – applies to the states. Unfortunately, that position has not taken the day, certainly in the courts. There's an increasing number of scholars who support that view, but we haven't got there in the courts. That's kind of interesting, isn't it? I mean, seriously, when the federal government passed the Bill of Rights, those that that they were supposed to be protecting those specific rights for Americans. Even even prior to the 14th Amendment, did did the courts not recognize the right to a trial or the right to a to a, to um, to a legislative process within the states? I think that's part of the, part of the Bill of Rights. So remember, there are also some other restrictions imposed on the states in the primary body of the Constitution, mm-hmm. in Article One, Section Ten, and in Article Four. And even in Article 6 with the Supremacy Clause. Mm -hmm. So there were some other limitations that were imposed. Mm -hmm. But the bulk of the Bill of Rights, including the First Amendment, which are all distinct from what's in the body of the Constitution. The First Amendment specifically says Congress. Right, exactly. And that's why the Supreme Court said, no, this does not apply to the states. It wasn't until later. And so there's, there's a disagreement among legal historians about what was really intended by the 14th Amendment. They disagree about whether the 14th Amendment was designed and intended to include protections for the full Bill of Rights. I think the better evidence is yes. There's a a particular – some legislative history by a representative Bingham around the time the 14th Amendment passed where he specifically said this is designed to protect the first eight amendments in the Constitution against the states. Interesting, interesting. So – uh, is the Supreme Court of Arkansas going to sit down and have uh, a teaching moment with House members and Senate members about this? Generally, the Sup- Arkansas Supreme Court will articulate its views through cases and judicial opinions. Okay. And, and w- it will be basically all of the lower courts. Every time the Supreme Court of the United States resolves a question, they bring more certainty, certainty to the law. But then they create new uncertainty because now all of the lower courts and related lawyers have to figure out what the Supreme Court meant and start to try to figure it out. Now we all have to ask, when does a civil forfeiture 
become excessive. When the government tries to take property that was used in a crime, when is the government going too far? And that will take some time to work out through case after case. And it will be in state courts and in federal courts around the country where there'll be this legal debate over when that line gets crossed. So do you you think the Arkansas Supreme Court will make some drastic adjustments to the the criminal procedures handbook? I, I doubt that will happen. What I think is more likely is there's legislation pending in Arkansas right mm-hmm. now that could address this question. Yeah, Bart Hester has a bill in regards to um, right. asset forfeiture. Right, and I think that's a bill that I really like because I've long been skeptical of civil forfeiture as a whole. Mm-hmm. I think there are really good arguments that it violates due process entirely, mm-hmm. that virtually any form of civil forfeiture is problematic. Now, The courts aren't willing to go that far, and I think with the right procedural protections, civil forfeiture would be constitutional. And I think that's what the the Hester bill does, is it really creates, it it sets a general prohibition, no civil forfeiture until you're convicted of a felony, but then has some exceptions. And I think the courts would, would, they certainly have, and I think they should accept most of those exceptions. And so I think... We have a better shot at solving this problem legislatively than through the courts. Well, and, and so there's, there's, there's rationale. If someone's stolen a bunch of property from somebody, from someone else, and now you've caught them in a crime and you've got some property that's valuable, you might use that to pay back their victims. That, right. That's a very reasonable thing to do. Right. But if they stole a pack of gum from a store and they're driving a $70,000 pickup truck, it's not reasonable to take their $70,000 pickup truck and seize it because they're using it to carry that pack of gum. I completely agree. I completely agree. And, and it's interesting that it's, it's libertarians that have been the most concerned about this issue, but a lot of liberals have joined them on this. And so there's a, a really important bipartisan consensus on this issue that we've gone too far. The libertarians tend to focus a little more on property rights, and the liberals tend to focus a little more on how forfeiture is used against communities that are poorer or minorities. But where the two sides agree is that there's a real due process problem. When your property can be taken by a preponderance of the evidence, and that's bad enough. Or maybe not even that. Right, exactly. Before you're even found guilty. That's troublesome enough. Although it's generally permitted in traditional civil cases, so we could at least maybe go along with that. But as you rightly put it, sometimes under probable cause, which may be 30 to 40 percent likelihood that you well, committed and, the crime, right. that's a problem. And even in some cases, not even probable cause from what, I, what I'm hearing. It's like, well, you have cash on you. There's no way you could have possibly gotten that. In, Legally. In that's right. what I was pointing out. Right. That happened but, but in that's, Iowa. That's not even yeah. probable cause. That's just, you look suspicious. Right. That, that's not even probable cause. That's just a, I have a hunch, I have a feeling, I have a, I have a, a chill up my leg or something of that nature. And maybe it was a mosquito or a snake crawling up my, I don't know. But that's not even probable cause. That's a, well, how did you get that, boy? I think in most of those cases, though, if the person who had their property taken challenged it, they would win. The problem is, is they don't have the time or the resources, or the resources to challenge it. And if it's just... $1,000, it may not be feasible to do it. Exactly. If it was $100,000, it could be more worthwhile. And then, Josh, I'm sure you've heard the stories of they've uh, you know, seized an airplane. The people fight to get it back. They finally get it back, and when it comes back, 
they tossed it, they ripped open the, you know, the right. the stuff, uh, the covering to the, 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 seat uh, the seats and, and all the rest, and it's not worth the money. I know someone who had their firearms confiscated, and after trying time and again to get them back voluntarily, all I could say to them was, you're going to have to hire a lawyer. And they threw their hands up, and their firearms were confiscated for, for life, effectively. They Amazing. just they gave up. Wow. And, and that's part of the deal, because if you're fighting the government, most average people I know don't yeah. have that kind of money. That's or right. that many lawyers. <laughs> well, that's what I'm saying. The government has unlimited resources to fight you back, and I have a friend that's involved in a lawsuit now, and that's part of the issue is the other side has unlimited money. She does right. not. That She's going to have to give in and just quit, and it is wrong. And it is, She actually could be right if she could fight the thing out, but she can't afford to keep going. She's just right. got to stop. All right. And, and that's wrong. And government officials don't get punished. All right. Got to take a break. we come back. Freedom of contract bill. We'll find out about what does that mean when we continue on the Dave Ellswick Show. All right, final uh, five minutes of the show today. Uh, Monday, we'll start off with Grover Northquist and uh, talk about taxes. It's the way we'll start it off on a good on a good foot. We'll talk about taxes, one of my favorite subjects. <laughs> All right, Josh, tell us about the Freedom of Contract Bill that Senator Hammer is running. So the bill is entitled the Freedom of Contract in Higher Education Bill. And the basic point of the bill is to make sure that all faculties' academic freedom is protected. Good. So that they can speak out and talk about any issue under the sun. The primary way faculty are protected and they're able to speak out on any issue, research about whatever they want, teach what whatever subject they deem appropriate, is through the contract they have with the university. Mm -hmm. And we've run into a problem where universities are sometimes unilaterally changing contracts that faculty have with the school. And one of the most important principles of contract is it's not really a contract if both sides aren't bound. Right. And so what this bill would do is ensure that contracts cannot be unilaterally changed and as a result would ensure protection for faculty and their ability to speak out in teaching and research. This has been going on for a couple of years now because I've read some articles that you've written about this. Correct. And that you say it's not right uh, that people can lose their jobs and it doesn't go the other way. And it, it's it's problematic, and it's, it's been a problem across the entire country, and it's particularly a problem for a member of the faculty who is not in the majority. And so it's been a particular issue for my conservative colleagues and their ability to speak out. And so one of the things this will do is it will ensure that when I want to have debates with my conservative colleagues, we can really go at it and both sides will be protected. Yeah, because they're not worried that they're going to say something that somebody in the administration is going to get ticked off about and come and get them. Correct. That's exactly right. And so that's the purpose of the bill, to provide statutory protection for those contracts. So this should be called the Freedom of Contract and Protection of Robert Steinbeck Bill. <laughs> he is one person who I, I think would, would might benefit from some of this protection. I think so. I think <laughs> or so. how about we shouldn't even need these laws in oh, the first place? It's called First Amendment. Look, I just, Pat, we, uh, just, we just put a bill into law that... Just that we had to. First Amendment just amazes Correct. Me. What, one of the things that legislatures can do is the courts only have 
so many resources to protect our rights, and you have to have an active lawsuit. So one thing that legislatures can do is they can pass statutes where the purpose of the statute is simply to create a better way to enforce your constitutional rights. And the rights that faculty have in their contracts are both protected by contract law and the Constitution, and so this statute is simply basically putting into the Arkansas Code protections that we should already have. Smart. Smart. Well, that's a lot of times what statutes do. Is they, right. That's what they should be doing is protecting human rights. Right. Because a lot of times your Constitution should be more generalized. You make general, establish general principles, and then the statutes um, protect those those rights more specifically. Exactly. And, and put teeth in them. And so, right. So the the um, the right to free speech is in the Constitution, but it doesn't tell how to actually address it. It doesn't put teeth in it. Doesn't it? Doesn't say you know any government official who comes along and arrests you for passing out pamphlets right. for your favorite candidate will, will will be charged with a felony and go to jail for six years or whatever it is. We, the Constitution doesn't spell that out, but it's not unreasonable for the for the state um, legislator legislatures to legislature to. Um, to spell out punishments for government officials who violate your constitutional exactly. rights. Exactly. And exactly. That's, a, that's an appropriate thing to do. And I think this bill is a nice analog to the free speech bill uh, that uh, Senator Ballinger mm-hmm. got through that, that many of us worked on. This That bill, while it did cover students and faculty alike, there was a little bit more of a focus on students. Yep. Whereas this bill was more focused on faculty and making sure they have the right to speak out. Everybody has the right to speak I just it just amazes me, you know. It's just like pro, you know profanity, and everybody wants to attack profanity. Let me just remind you what Lenny Bruce said about profanity. <laughs> if you use all those words just in everyday speech, they lose their power. That's right. I mean, well, they lose right. their power. You know, and, and I don't like profanity, but th- I don't want it to become illegal. Yeah, well, I mean, for crying it out. used to be that way. I know. That's one of the most <laughs> important lines that, that, that it's important for people to understand. There's a difference between not liking something, even disapproving of it morally, mm-hmm. and going the next step and saying it ought to be barred by law. Or right. demonizing it. Right. Or yeah. weaponizing well, it because it is, is, you is, don't is like different. it. I think, I think that's part of free speech. I think homosexuality is wrong, but I don't think it should be illegal. All right. We'll take a break with that one. I'll see you Monday. Sounds good. We'll be back here at 2 o'clock. Josh, thanks so much. Thanks for having me. For coming in. We'll have you back on again. I love being here. Elizabeth, thank you. Thank you. And I'm going to see you on uh, Monday at 2 o'clock. Really, I'll see you tomorrow morning at 9 with the uh, car and truck doctors because I come in for those guys. I'll be in here tomorrow. Not here, (laughs) though, but I'll be in the studio. You're thinking it's Friday. It's oh, Thursday. that's right. It's Thursday. I will be here at 2 o'clock. <laughs> to- and we're not done today because you're getting ready to do a replay, right? Yeah, bottom line, that's true. We're coming up and you get to hear uh, Congressman Hill and you get to hear J.R. Davis. Stay tuned to that. Three-star general, Michael J. Flynn, head of the Pentagon Intelligence Agency, knew all the government's dirty secrets. He was one of the most respected generals in the military. Flynn knew what the intel world had been up to. He understood its funding. He ordered the first audit of the use of contractors. This set off alarm bells. 
The explosive new documentary, Flynn, deliver the truth, whatever the cost, and covers the facts behind this scandal. Flynn told the truth. He was the most dangerous person for Donald Trump to hire. I find out the worst enemy that I'm going to face in my life is right here in America. They took my assessment and they wanted me to change it. I was like, I'm not changing it. They had to get rid of Flynn. With in-depth interviews, archival footage, and never-before-seen personal records of the man behind the headlines. I just felt like I was drowning. Flynn. Deliver the truth, whatever the cost. Available now. Watch it today. Go to salemnow.com. salemnow.com.